Welcome back to the Full Circle Podcast. Today we are continuing our discussion of love by exploring an often taboo subject of sexual intimacy. Being sexually intimate with your partner or yourself is a major component of success in life and love. When we have blockages and issues around intimacy, we will struggle with knowing who we are and how we relate to those we love. However, there is a path towards healing that many people do not know about. Sex therapy in the 21st century is holistic, body-based coaching, and is a hands-on option where you can set your own development goals. Whether you'd like to overcome a specific sexual issue, find more playtime in your relationship, or learn to communicate your pleasure needs, sex therapy can help you thrive in every area of your life. My guest today is Stella Anna Sonnenbaum. She is a somatic sexologist and certified somatic sex educator based in London. In her work as a sex embodiment mindfulness coach, she works with clients of any gender or sexual orientation in her practice. With almost 25 years of experience in health, movement, alternative body therapy and tantra, Stella facilitates workshops, lectures and presentations to make this body-based therapy approach better known and to enable people to find more love and pleasure in their lives and relationships. Today, we will discuss how healing issues around sexuality and intimacy can help you become a fully alive and embodied being and continue on your self-development journey. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome, Stella, to the Full Circle podcast, Finding Your Way Home. I'm really delighted that you're here to have, hopefully, a really informative conversation around the importance of sex, love, and masturbation. So welcome, as we're both laughing there, but welcome to the show. (laughs) It's kind of an introduction, isn't it, for you? (laughs) Thank you, Gillian. They are all my favourite topics. (laughs) Good. So I I love talking about them. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm really glad you're here. So why don't we start off with just you telling us a little bit more about what you currently do? Mm-hmm. Would that be all right? Absolutely. I'm a somatic sexologist. And so that means that I work with the body. So somatic means body. And I have certificates in somatic sex education and sexological body work. But my background is very different. So I used to be a licensed pharmacist and I have a master's in public health. And also what's very important to mention is that I come from Tantra. And so my first entry into spirituality and sexuality was via Tantra. Amazing. So what kind of led you down this path? Because obviously, like you said, your previous career wasn't involved in this, but what kind of got you involved in spirituality and your Tantra practice to begin with? So when I was a pharmacist, I got interested in uh, alternative therapy. So I also trained as a Reiki practitioner, as a Shiatsu practitioner, and um, got into dance as well. So I was interested in the body itself. And then I think in the 90s, I bought when first in, in when I was in Berlin, then uh, the first workshop sprung up about Tantra. And so I bought my first book on Tantra, and it had these beautiful woodcuts of very explicit poses, you know, in impossible sexual poses. And, and I was just intrigued because I had never seen any explicit 
sexual material before. So I wasn't familiar with the top shelf news <laughs> agents. And uh, so I thought, ah, yeah. And so I bought it and I dragged it home. And um, I'm really glad to this day that um, the first uh, explicit sexual material that I saw was art. Because mm. they are beautiful, yeah. And so yeah. there's, there's a kind of art adds another dimension, opens up other realms. And so that's when this love was born, because <laughs> mm-hmm. sexuality, spirituality. And uh, I tried to convince every boyfriend I had then, one after the other, to, to get get into tantra with me, but none wanted to. Yeah, but they looked at the positions and they said, I can't do that, so let's do that. <laughs> and and um, so much later, when I was in a sexless relationship, I uh, knew about tantra and I thought, ah, we can fix that. <laughs> and so I dragged my partner to a partner's uh, tantra workshop. And even though it didn't quite fix, so it, it, it got us to talking to each other about it, opening up intimacy, but what it did for me is, uh, I thought, well, I'm all right, it's his problem. <laughs> but <that's> it. <laughs> and so what it did for me is that it opened my heart. So I found my heart. And um, so that started a spiritual journey. And then when I met Joseph Kramer, who was the founder of Sexological Bodywork in 2011, um, I thought, oh, this is something where Tantra and science and health meets. And because I have this health background, well, that's exactly what I want to do. And so I uh, took these um, certifications and then I started working in my company, Stella with Love, in 2015. That's a really interesting story. Thank you for sharing that. And I think that kind of reflection on that sense of opening your heart through the experience sounds really that it was a, a meaningful and important step in your involvement. That's exactly it, yeah. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit more then, and maybe for our listeners as well, just explain a little bit more about what Tantra is, first of all, and then we'll move into your kind of the body work that you do. Yeah, so uh, just to clarify, I'm not doing Tantra. Yeah? <laughs> and yes. so that's something like a personal <laughs> practice that yes. I do, uh-huh. that, I, that my practice is informed, but that's not something I do. Tantra comes yes. from India, and um, so there are different dates where it originated. Some say China, but um, also like India is like a very important yeah. milestone. And and it's a religion stroke philosophy that um, aims at involving the body. So there are, it's, it's, it's part of Buddhism really, and um, so there are um, branches in Buddhism that aim at kind of leaving the body, leaving the samsara behind, the illusion world, and to get enlightenment via leaving that behind. Tantra is the opposite. Tantra wants to go into the body and through the body and reach enlightenment that way. And actually then very close to somatic coaching as a whole then, isn't it? In terms of that sense of embodiment work that you would do with somatic work. Yes, that's yeah. exactly it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> lovely. Thank you for sharing that. So tell me then more about the body work that you do. And I think what I'm really curious around is, is why is the work that you do so important? Because it does feel quite important, but I'm curious around what your thoughts are on that. Yes, I had I thought already when I started the work that it would be very important, but every year I'm doing it, I realize just how much that's missing. Because when people have sexual issues, um, the the I mean in England the GP doesn't really 
deal very much with sexual issues at all unless it affects reproduction somehow and so I get like clients get laughed at when they are for example single and when they say my erections are not what they used to be that's for a penis owner for a man that's that's a, very important and so yeah it's very frightening and um, so that the, the energist doesn't offer any help in that respect sexuality has to do with pleasure and uh, with arousal at all and neither of those are welcome in the NHS and so that's where we come in because uh, for example like if uh, a lady has vaginismus like a vulva owner, vagina owner, uh, so that's an involuntary cramping of the vaginal muscles that may make penetration impossible and uh, so the usual approach by psychosexual therapists is to send people home with a set of dilators. Dilators are little sticks that you put into the vagina with varying uh, thickness, yeah, so that it's kind of like, but it, it's, it's a mechanical procedure, but really like when we are aroused as women, <laughs> we open up via pleasure. And that's not being taught and that's where we come in. So I can actually work in the sessions on people's bodies so that we can work like what's actually turn on for you what is the arousal and where where's your pleasure and how can your body naturally opening open up rather than having like mechanically like a dilator pushed into you yeah so absolutely. what we want to see is the vagina getting curious and doing something <laughs> like this rather than having something pushed into it yeah <laughs> it's interesting. Uh, our audience will not see what you've just done with your movements, but I'm sure they'll get the gist of what you're talking okay. about there. Um, yeah, lovely. So, 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 in terms of the, the the work then, in terms of the the maybe the clients that might come to you, and and you just shared a couple of examples there. But but what would make somebody want to come and have work with you to support them around their sexuality in terms of their sexual pleasure or whatever it might be their challenges that they might have i basically work with all issues that um, a psychosexual therapist would work with as well i work with individuals and i work with couples and i also do somatic coaching on zoom which is wonderful and very effective and so that's something i learned in the in the times of COVID. <laughs> the pandemic yes <laughs> pandemic. like we've all had to do yeah <laughs> exactly and so it's something that i did before but not to the extent and I, I'm, I surprise myself how effective it is. Um, so uh, couples is a little bit different than individuals and couples works really well on Zoom because then the couples can touch each other. And um, so any kind of, so it's, it, there will always, the body will always be involved in some, some way. So for example, I would start a session, whether it's a person or Zoom, with a short breath meditation in order to get into the body and also breathing into the pelvic area. Um, that's great to get in touch with the pelvic area, but also it gives me an important information. Can this person feel the pelvic area? Mm. Because that's not always the case. So both Zoom coaching and in-person coaching would be would be a somatic coaching. And in terms of the somatic piece, then, can you share with me why that is important? Because I think from what you're sharing with me, I can connect because I do somatic coaching, not in the same way as you, but but still embodiment work. And, and so I can see the importance of that. But for our listeners who perhaps are less informed around somatics, could you just share a little bit more about what that looks and feels like when you are working with people? A lot of people live in their heads and... There is the kind of beliefs and attitudes towards the world and the story that they hold. And a very quick way for people to step out of the 
out of that story is to get into the body and to facilitate something that's called a body epiphany. A body epiphany is where the body suddenly finds another way, where the body breaks out of the pattern and that then in turn, in turn informs the beliefs that we have about ourselves, where the body shows us that something else is possible. The body shows us an alternative. That's very powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And I would imagine that, you know, there may be lots of reasons why perhaps people are not either intimate in the way that they would like to be, or perhaps not able to get the pleasure that they would like to get. And I'm assuming some of that could be maybe from trauma, but there might also be other reasons why maybe they're not kind of um, able to get the right level of pleasure or whatever it might be, the experience that they're looking for. Would you say that is a fair kind of assumption to make? Or is there other reasons why people might want to come to you? Yes, that, that's definitely uh, spot on. The, um, the trauma obviously is, is often is always often present and so I'm a trauma-informed practitioner. Um, yeah. I sometimes refer and sometimes I ask, uh, do you, are you also seeing a counsellor and a psychotherapist? Because the body work, as you know, may may trigger something, so I'm, I make absolutely sure that people are safe. Yeah. Um, we don't live in a very pleasure-friendly <laughs> society at all. We also don't live in a society, it may, may seem strange to say that, but we don't live in a, in a sexuality positive um, society. And um, so if people got sex education at all, uh, that, that it's very rudimentary. And so what we learn at school, if at all, is like um, how the biological facts, how babies are made. Um, and uh, reproduction and how not to cause unwanted pregnancies and how not to catch STIs. Uh, children are being made afraid of sexuality, uh, which is policy because um, the, the, the reasoning behind it is like, well, we don't want them want to cause unwanted pregnancies. And so they are scared. They approach sexuality from a place of being scared. Um, they, they don't learn about the miracle of what sexuality means for their life. And let's face it, for a lot of people in their lives, um, good sex life is a make or break factor. It's the, the succeeding a life or failing. <laughs> it's, I'm sure it's not true for everybody, so I'm a very sexual person, <laughs> but I think it's, it, it, it is very, it's, it's core for, for our lives. And, and the, the, it, it doesn't get the attention it deserves. Children are left alone, adolescents are left alone, kind of figured all out by themselves via porn. And uh, a very important um, event is a first ejaculation for a boy uh, and um, also for a girl to, to start menstruating. All, all these things, you know, you go, oh yeah, I went, <laughs> I went to the drugstore, I got some tampons. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they have nothing, nobody to talk to about that, about how Absolutely. much that means. So obviously there's the education piece there, but, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, because in terms of how we're all brought up as well in that sense of not necessarily being kind of overly positive about sexuality. And so from your perspective and your viewpoint, what do you think needs to change? <laughs> and so I'm sort of talking about society. <laughs> and so what I'm trying to provide in my practice um, is, uh, me personally, because I've done so much work on myself, and also maybe different from psychotherapists, I've 
I've kind of been there and done it. I've not only heard it all, <laughs> I've been there, so I've been on strange <laughs> workshops <laughs> and uh, been in dungeons and being the king. And so I've really, it's, it's very mm-hmm. difficult to shock, shock me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And people can feel that. And I'm so, yes. uh, they clients, what I often hear is like, well, I have a psychotherapist, but they, I can't really approach, you know, I can't really address. So what, what, where does the feeling come from? I can't address it with the psychotherapist, yeah? <laughs> and I think the, yeah. the reason is that uh, the psychotherapists are not at ease with sexual yes. issues at yes. all. Yeah. You know, doctors aren't, well, nurses sometimes aren't. <laughs> and yeah. so um, where, who, who can I talk to? Who can I address this with? And Absolutely. who who doesn't judge me for it? And so people read in my face when they share something, can she take that? You know? Yes. And, yeah, and that, that level. So when I find them acceptable with all that they are, then that's a way to find ourselves acceptable as yes. all uh, as, yeah. as well. And just as you're talking, that what came to me as, a, as you were speaking was this sense of, I would imagine that actually that acceptance piece is very important in terms of allowing yourself to be the sexual person that you feel you want to be. And I, I would imagine that there can be lots of blockers for that, especially around perhaps people feeling embarrassed, ashamed of maybe what they're needing to talk about or wanting to talk about, but again, not sure that they can do it in a trusting space. Would that again be a fair kind of comment to make? Yes. And what's often the case with sexuality, it uh, links to our subconscious mind. And what's often the case is that we have uh, troublesome turn-ons or turn-ons that mm. people can't come to terms with and that they therefore deny. And uh, so we have the kind of paradox that this turns me on and uh, and this is the person I know myself to be and they are opposites. <laughs> and so it's not possible to do this mm-hmm. because they are really yeah. opposites and but this is really what what the what the fun of existence is that we live with this paradox and that we need to accept that yeah it's interesting i mean obviously i don't do the same work as i've said as you do but with my coaching clients there is always that kind of conflict because it's a duality isn't there within all of us really and i think trying to kind of get those closer together so they're not polar opposites but actually they become you and you kind of find your way back to those I would imagine it is kind of similar but from a more sexual way so how do you help clients overcome any embarrassment or you know any kind of fear of getting to know themselves more intimately I deal with fear in a somatic way and so I ask when people share that they have fear or embarrassment first of all I I say okay it's it's normal and um so i ask well where do you find that in your body and so that's maybe very similar how you work and, and um, so what's what's the feeling in the body does it have is it like a lump or is it a texture or what's the physical feeling of it or does it have a color and if it could speak what would it say once we get um, the fear into the body it becomes something much more acceptable something much more grounded something we may be able to accept more and then often the as you as you may know um, once we give it a little bit of breath once we allow it to be felt it just goes away yeah yeah amazing so obviously we're talking around the work that you do but I'm keen to understand what's your perspective on self-love and why perhaps we need to give ourselves more self-love from what we said so far 
people find parts of themselves difficult to accept and because they have polar opposites <laughs> so and um, the a lot of people then take shortcuts and cut that part of themselves off but from the subconscious mind it will still push and so what ensues then is a struggle that takes a lot of energy really and um, so I help people to uncover uh, what 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 they cut off from themselves and um, to uh, to listen to that voice and to reconnect to that part and to make peace with all of what they are um, and that as you know it's 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 wonderful to finally make peace <laughs> because the struggle the struggle takes so it takes up so much energy it does it can be exhausting can't mm. it for people yeah, yeah. So obviously we've, we've talked about self-love and we've talked about how you can help people connect more with themselves in that more meaningful way around pleasure and just intimacy with self. You're right when you talk about before around that, you know, we don't, we're kind of closed in terms of society really talking about sexual pleasure. And so I just wondered if we could just talk a little bit more around kind of how you might help somebody get more kind of connected with if they wanted to talk more or play more with themselves through masturbation or anything like that. Because that, again, seems such a taboo topic. You know, you can see it through porn, like, you know, and you can see you can see it through other ways. But I'm just curious because, again, we don't talk about a lot of those things. And maybe those are things that, you know, you would do behind certainly closed doors. Um, and so I'm kind of curious around how we can bring that more out into the open so people can feel more comfortable talking about these kind of things. In terms of um, self-pleasuring, what I usually aim at is to involve more of the body. There is a bit of a, an orgasm imperative, and I encounter that with what clients bring me. So I want to have, I want to have bigger orgasms, stronger orgasms, and a lot of people are on something that's called a sex collator, uh, where you have like more and stronger experiences all the time. So have you have you been to a sex party yet? Have you been to an orgy? <laughs> have, you, have you had a threesome, foursome <laughs> and, and all these things? But what they leave behind is their own desire and their own boundaries. And so what I aim to reconnect people with is their 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 unique desires. What do they really need? And I work with a method developed by Dr. Betty Martin, which is uh, rediscovering the touch senses. Mm. When um, partners communicate about pleasure, <laughs> there's a phenomenon that happens, which is um, how does what does he want me to want? And so it gets very complicated as in like, <laughs> or we, we, we receive something that feels really nice. And uh, then we think, oh, you know, maybe I'm being selfish, so maybe I should give back. Uh, so how to, uh, first of all, um, rediscover what we like. What, and that's via rediscovering the touch senses. Um, a toddler can still do that. So when you see like a toddler uh, ravage the living room, so they want to get their hands on everything. But then we learn to be useful members of society. And this direct uh, pleasure in touch gets lost. And so when we use our hands, we want to be to type on the computer and do the washing up. <laughs> Things that we <laughs> learn that get us a reward. 
sitting still at school, yeah, the bodies don't want to sit still, still yeah, they want to, to move, they want yeah. to move, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, so, how, what does it feel like when we take action on behalf of our own pleasure? When we feel, when we start to feel, and so um, then a new communication is opened with partners, and we create the space to, for the first time maybe, find out what is really pleasurable for us without always taking the other partner into into account. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because what's that led, that's just led me to thinking then that it actually when you are in a relationship with somebody and just kind of reflecting on, you know, myself in early relationships, you know, you know, you don't necessarily, I suppose, tell each other what you like and what you want. And I, I wonder this sense of giving ourselves permission to connect with touch for self or connect with touch with others, but actually also that self-expression around what feels good, what we need, what we want, and also to be supportive of that to each other when in a relationship, but also to be okay if not in a relationship, then really kind of paying attention to what you need to give yourself. Yeah, that's spot on. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what advice then would you give to people who, let's just take an example of a couple, they're in a relationship, they maybe have a healthy sex life, but yet they're maybe not getting exactly what they need. They may be just going through the motions, say, for example, which most probably a lot of people do. So what advice or guidance could you give a couple like that, for example? First of all, um, I focus on what's working well already. Mm-hmm. So that we start from a from a positive space and mm-hmm. always affirm their relationship. Um, as in like with something positive and something wonderful. And so how can you have more of that? Um, and um, so it really depends what people want to want to improve on. Mm-hmm. Um, I but with couples, I what is often um, like for example, long-term couples, what often gets lost is the initial excitement. And so when we get yeah. together with someone initially, like when we take their clothes off, it's like a, something really wonderful and exciting. And then once we get familiar with each other, with each other's bodies, clothes just come off so we're comfortable being naked with each other. And so that familiarity is um, in contrast to eroticism. And so the more familiar we get with each other, the less um, uh, there is this kind of tension that eroticism provides. And that's something that I help couples to recreate. Uh, Most couples know that they need to work a little bit on their love and intimacy, that they need to make time for their partner in order not to lose that. What very few couples know is that they can also cultivate eroticism. And that's also via touch and via being aware of this erotic tension. And so I teach couples uh, essential undressing, where we play with proximity and distance with this initial excitement of like um, getting close with someone for the first time and being mesmerized about it. And then using the touch skills to actually take off the one piece of the partner's clothing in an erotic way. I teach techniques as a like was often quite nice for women, for example, is the nape of the neck. 
Mm. And um, to, to kind of blow on that, to touch really lightly, I teach different qualities of touch and um, I invite couples to ask for feedback. Feedback is tricky in a sexual situation mm. because it can sound like criticism. So it's, again, it's uh, beneficial to work with someone like me where I can give communication tools of um, uh, giving feedback that doesn't sound like criticism. Yeah, that feels a really lovely process actually to support people through because again it's something that they're doing together as a couple and they're learning because I think you're right I think most couples and you know you do get comfortable with each other you perhaps you know if you've got kids you're busy you don't have the same amount of time to put into your own relationship with each other never mind the relationship that you've got with yourself but you struggle for it from a time perspective and you know, remembering myself having, a, you know, a young child, you know, you're just exhausted, you just want to go to bed and sleep, you know. And so and so I think that sense of reconnecting people in that way sounds actually really beautiful, actually, in a way that you could can really nurture the relationship and reconnect in a way that is really meaningful, actually. And let me just um, significant. Let yeah. me just, uh, if I may, uh, just add something, because it's interesting what you just said about the time of day. And so most couples, uh, when they make love, it's it's the last thing <laughs> when every every item on the agenda is ticked off and the children are in bed. <laughs> you're really dog tired, and then you try to make love. It's not a, not a good not a good time. And um, so what I encourage is to look at that. Uh, because the body will override and so especially for penis owners that may trigger early ejaculation because the body just wants to go to sleep Mm -hmm. and it's not it's often not quality sex and so sometimes i recommend couples to just steer steer clear of nighttime sex (laughs) it's late night yeah (laughs) so um, i'm gonna ask you now i mean this is a silly question but is there an optimum time to have sex Yes, daytime is much better. Daytime Daytime. or morning, but uh, last thing at night, I usually, (laughs) unless it's maybe after a date. Stay away from exactly. (laughs) Well, I'm I'm sure most of our listeners will definitely take note of what you've just shared there. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that. That's really interesting. Because you're right, I think, you know, you do get so busy and it's the last thing you really want to do, but maybe feel that you need to do because you want to keep connected with each other. So it is quite difficult, isn't it? Especially Mm -hmm. if you've got children as well. So tell me a little bit more than your guidance, I suppose, because you've got such a rich experience in this area what could you advise our listeners on how they can develop that greater self-love for themselves we talked a little bit about self-love in terms of the clients but is there anything else that we should be looking at that we've not yet you've not yet shared or explored that would be important because you talked about touch but is there anything else that you think would be important for people around self-love um in in couples what's very important is to learn communication (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just general communication as a whole it's to learn to communicate and so what I, what I teach couples is to um, is a quick technique to uh, check in with each other and to just listen <laughs> so we can mm-hmm. uh, have a, maybe uh, put, put a timer on and um, to just to just listen and, uh, and um, to take turns in that um, we think we know our partner but do we really ever, because do we ever really know ourselves? Mm. Uh, so it's, it's a journey of getting, getting to know ourselves. And, and I'm so trusting that there's always more to discover in our partners. Uh, so the, the, what, what is to discover is not finite, not in ourselves mm. and not in our partners. Yeah, I love that. So in a sense, we shouldn't really give up 
we should continue to keep exploring and talking and connecting and learning about each other. Mm-hmm. And what about those, for example, that then are not in relationships, um, those people that, you know, maybe have been in relationships but are not now or just kind of single? Again, is what would you suggest or advise them? As you know, as a meditation, you teach meditation, right? As a meditation meditation teacher is that we live in a time of material reductionism. And uh, that is one of the reasons that people lose sight of who they are at core. uh, However, it's a human need to find purpose and meaning in our lives. And when... uh, when people come with specific issues, uh, sometimes it's a matter of reminding them who they who they are at core and finding that connection to to meaning to their own meaning in their lives. Um, that that that's very important as well. Absolutely, I would agree with that completely. And I think you're right. I think because of the materialistic way of how we live and and also I think the technology that surrounds us we, we do lose sight of that connection and purpose and and real true sense of self actually so I think yeah you're absolutely spot on and so I need to go back to that or to make time or create space for that I think is very very important the desires lead lead the way there is a the yeah. kind of more shallow desires for example I desire a cup of coffee <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but there's also the the deeper desires as in like where where what what you know what I do what do I want what do I really want what do I really 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 want people's yes. dreams are often too small <laughs> and so yes. with this kind of taking time to dream big to to discover where 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 does my desire lead us yeah where, where does my desire lead me where where am I drawn to? And that's where the our path unfolds, really. Mm. And that can be as simple as starting with touch desires. How can I involve more of myself when I self-pleasure? Um, how can I cultivate the sense of awe and wonder for my own body? So that's something I, I do a lot in workshops. <laughs> And so, yeah. especially for women to to yes. rediscover that sense of awe and wonder of uh, of our own being. And so, yeah. can I take about vulvas in this program? Yes, yeah. I want to talk about what you want. Go for it. <laughs> and so, um, vulva is something that's um, uh, uh, is the outer outer female genitals. Uh, often that's called vagina, and so vagina is colloquially is the outside and the inside. Um, the, the, what what happens these days is that very young children. I don't know about. I mean, I have a certain age. I'm of a certain age. We didn't. When I was a teenager, I didn't bother about my vulva or what it looked like. But now, the you know, children are under so much pressure that they not only like. Uh, like with the rest of their bodies, they compare themselves, like with social media, yeah. but also they compare their vulvas. I don't even know how, how they do that. And it's kind of like, oh, am I normal? And, you know, is, is this normal? And so we did, I, you know, my age, as a teenager, I didn't really bother. Yeah. And so a vulvoplasty is on the rise and very young teenagers go for wow. vulvoplasty. Mm-hmm. And um, that's something that I really want, want to inform people about because when you're a teenager, the inner labia grow first and then the outer labia. And so uh, by the time we are maybe 16, 18, it will balance out. 
And so yeah. our, we, we, we can only know what we are, what we are going to look like when we are kind of 16 or 18. Mm -hmm. And what I want to share really is that all vulvas are beautiful. So I haven't, I see a lot of vulvas and I haven't come across a single vulva that's not beautiful. Not mm -hmm. all vulvas are pretty. And so what we cultivate in the uh, sort of social media um, world is that we need to look pretty or something. Yes, um, yeah. What Valva shows us is that there's a connection with something really powerful that leads us to mythology, that leads mm. us to very strange phenomena like the Sheila Nagig, which is like a sculpture on churches of a woman holding the Valva open. <laughs> and uh, so the, the the power the power to you know um, in uh, shamanism to uh, scare away demons yeah to manifest used in warfare and um, so uh, and that is a way where we actually gaze at ourselves as we would gaze as at a work of art and that's yes. kind of what I talked about in the beginning to add new dimensions. Um, how we view ourselves, how we yeah. see ourselves, which is far beyond any social media pictures. Thank you so much for that. It's so interesting because, you know, I'm just reflecting on a couple of clients, you know, that I've worked with over the, the last 20 years. And, you know, you find people, even friends, myself, you know, where you, you, you are not confident in how you look naked or with your body. You don't get that sense of I don't know. I mean, you know, you just you you find fault, or you feel, especially as a young girl growing up, you feel like you want to look like everybody else, or what their perceived idea of beauty is. And I, I didn't realise to the extent of how serious that is going now for young girls in particular. And I think it's a real shame actually, because it hinders us, it it limits us, it holds us back from, I suppose, enjoying who we are and what we look like and what we can be enjoying what we are and accessing our great power <laughs> yeah, yeah and that's absolutely. been suppressed that's been suppressed for centuries absolutely yeah absolutely fascinating stuff amazing so is there any kind of red flags or blind spots that maybe our listeners might need to be wary of if people are wanting to explore or try new things for couples what i hear a lot is that they get scared when uh, sex is less and so they kind of force themselves and each other to have sex a lot just to be reassured that um, their relationship is going well so there's a lot of fear especially at the beginning of the relationship but um, uh, the, the the desire will um, uh, ebb and wane and then rise again so the libido is really something that uh, so yeah. to develop that trust and um, having conversation skills around that, rather than uh, using sex to reassure themselves that uh, uh, their relationship is going well. Um, that is one thing. The other thing uh, for uh, women, well for men as well, is not to go straight to orgasm. Mm. Um, but to uh, use self-pleasuring and uh, sex in a, in a focus, uh, sorry, in a... In a um, in, in a way where we stay present to every moment. So it's more process-oriented rather than goal-oriented. Sexuality doesn't take well to goals or to agendas at all. <laughs> so sexuality is a creative force uh, within us. And so as soon as there's an agenda, it says, <laughs> it says goodbye. 
and um, yeah. so to 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 go to, to to be curious about feeling what can yeah. I actually sense and feel and to cultivate that rather uh, and then an orgasm will come of from that and stronger orgasms will come from that as well and a very very important tool that I uh, teach is breath and so breath helps us to feel more feel more intensely and um, some some people squeeze out orgasms is the kind of like I'm almost there I'm almost there <laughs> and, uh, and so how, what would it be like to actually uh, take a deep breath to um, accept that then first of all the level of arousal will subside a little bit but then you have another wave that may be even bigger and it will involve more of the body so breath is a very important tool as well and in terms of that breath can you just share with us how you might help help somebody kind of engage with that bigger breath and that kind of contained way is it just about i mean obviously i do pranayama through my meditation and yoga and things like that but but is it just more about just kind of breathing into the feeling to the sensation is that what you're meaning what i work with a lot is breathing in and out through the mouth as you know that mm-hmm. that's not a healthy kind of breath however uh, the side if so the two effects of that first of all the mouth is one end of the digestive tract the other end is the anus and um, so the mouth itself is a sphincter muscle, yeah, the anus as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so usually, usually the, um, uh, the, there's like two or three more sphincters in the digestive tract. And when, when we relax one sphincter, then the other sphincters are likely to relax as well. And um, so that, uh, that's one reason to, to do mm. uh, in and out through the mouth. It's as an exercise, not as a daily yes. practice. Yes, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> and um, no, so amazing. the other reason is that um, uh, we get access to our orgasmic self more easily because when we, when we make um, sexual sounds or when we do anything expressive, we need to open our mouth. And so we can breathe deeply through the nose yeah, but when we open the mouth and breathe through the mouth, it's kind of like letting the world in unfiltered and letting our own expression out unfiltered. Amazing. Thank um, you for sharing that. The, the initial um, breath exercise that I do is uh, using a breath that reaches down to the pelvic floor. And so that's an important connecting factor and also like a test as a like, can you, can you actually feel that? And um, that helps us feel more and sense more. Mm. And, uh, but also, like, like I said, breath helps feel, feel more of everything, huh? which is Absolutely. the reason why people have shallow breaths. And so sometimes we need to kind of pace ourselves and not <laughs> open up <laughs> open up Pandora's <laughs> box all at once. <laughs> Brilliant. Good advice. Thank you. So just as we start to bring our conversation to close, it's been a really fascinating conversation and, and it's been great to talk to you in this level about the work that you do and how you help your clients. It's, it's fascinating. So thank you for that. But can I ask you just a personal question? What is the biggest lesson that you've learned so far on your journey? What's the most important thing for me is the um, interconnectedness with, with everything that lets, uh, lets go of judgment because the, the path is unraveling by and by and it's being shown to us. And, and uh, so we, like from, from where we are at, how do we know if something is right or wrong? Um, so but, so the, more, the more I do this work, the more I, I let go of judgment. And so something that may, may seem or look wrong may be the right thing to happen 
right now. So what I what I experience is that people feel uh, guilty when something something bad happens to us, and, and and so that's not only dealing with that kind of like I mean, if you have in your life story, for example, you share something, the um, kind of like wow, yeah, <laughs> that's devastating, yeah, that what, what's just happened to me, but it is not our fault. There's something in our path that made that happen, and so let's make lemonade, so let's make the best of what just happened. There's yeah. nothing inherently wrong with us. It's about like following that and then um, uh, finding the path through that. And as you know, and as you shared, the, the, it's often like finding our strength from these crisis situations. And so I think my biggest uh, message is to let go of judgment, self-judgment and judgment of others as well. Yeah, I would completely agree with that. Thank you. And then finally, if listeners would like to find out more about the work that you do and maybe getting to contact with you, how can they do that? Yeah, so the best way is to go to my website, which is uh, stellawithlove.com. People can also find me on social media. I'm most active on Instagram, which is stella underscore with underscore love. <laughs> and then on Facebook, which is Stella with Love in one word amazing that's lovely thank you Stella this has been as I said a great conversation and very grateful for you to have the conversation with me today so thank you um it's been a pleasure it's been a pleasure Gillian thank you so much for having me thanks for tuning in I'd love to take a moment and tell you about our wellness retreats that will be happening in May 2022 in Mallorca Spain My team and I have created four immersive retreats that allows you to take a step back from all the stresses and strains of your daily life in order to focus on your physical, mental, emotional and spiritual well-being. From coaching mastery, mindfulness and meditation, conscious living and so much more, we offer a nurturing and truly experiential life-enriching environment where you'll reconnect, rediscover and reaffirm who you are and what you want in your life. If you're interested in learning more, head to the fullcircleglobal.com website and click the retreats tab. In the meantime, stay well, invite joy and curiosity into your life and see you soon.